The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Chapter 11, Getting Dirty. October 7th, Dirty Socks. With all of the exciting things that were going on in my life, I had a bad habit of forgetting about the small things. My mind had been slightly preoccupied in the lead-up to the smokers event. In this case, I forgot about the laundry that I had put in the communal washing machines the previous day. That meant my wet laundry had sat for a day. I needed socks for class and raced to the laundry room. I saw that all my wet clothes had been thrown into a pile by a folding table. The dry clothes had been mixed with the wet clothes. They were all lying next to a knocked-over jug of detergent. There was detergent all over my clothes. I was so pissed, but there wasn't any time to waste. I shuffled through the pile until I found a pair of socks that were less dirty than the rest. I grabbed them, put them on, and ran towards my room. I put on my pledge shoes and got my notebook for class. I still hadn't peed yet, but I planned to go when I got back. I sprinted to my morning criminal justice class, but was a few minutes late. I interrupted the class by walking in during a movie. The light from the hallway glared into the dark classroom. I looked for an open chair and could only find one in the front of the room. The teacher scowled at me, but I didn't care. I had dirty socks, and I had to pee. So having to pee is very relevant there because it leads into the next story. Having dirty socks and having to pee, and like that being like, that's your, that's your limit. Like, that's my, that's it. My socks are dirty, and I gotta go. That's it. Yeah. Like, that's, that's your breaking point. My, uh, at this, at my... this moment, it is. My tolerance for more crap was just uh, not very high at that age. Plus, I was pledging, so I thought that was a lot, and school was a lot, but either way. So I was a dick, and I left all of my stuff in a shared laundry mat, basically, by the entire floor. Do your clothes have that mildewy smell? Yes. Either way, I told myself I wouldn't do it again. October 7th. Surprise! When I came back from class, I needed to piss very badly. I walked into my room and set my books down. I made sure to make as much noise as possible in case Paul was in the bathroom so he could say something. Everything was quiet and there was complete silence. I opened up the door to the bathroom to reveal Paul Knox pooping. Cue the dramatic horror music. This image was permanently branded into a dark part of my mind. I've tried every drug. It's still there, buried deep in the nasty anus of my brain. A place I took the light bulb out of, so I wouldn't ever have to see that image again. Unfortunately, I still can't get the disgusting image out of my mind. I still had to pee, so I raced into John's room and pissed. I told him what happened, and he asked if I was going to walk in on him taking a shit next. I said, no, it was a one-time thing. Now it's time to do laundry. So, it sucks even telling the story, recording the story, writing the story, talking about that line, because every time I do, I get Paul Knox pooping back into my head. It's like your, it's your PTSD from college. And then Noel's right on cue, right? Are you going to walk in on me shitting next? <laughs> October 7th, a quick bite. In the evening... The brothers showed us how to properly run a large party. They showed us how to work the door, 
what to charge, what to buy, what to watch for, who to look out for, and they helped us buy the booze. It was a valuable mentoring experience. Our pledge class pooled our money together for kegs, and we made our money back on our very first party. We gave Tony, our treasurer, all the money to keep safe. He was to continue using it for our future parties. While we were throwing our party at the main chapter house, Blake, the former pledge, resurfaced, finally showing his face again. We asked him where he had disappeared to after lock-in. He told us that he wanted to focus on school instead of pledging. Without skipping a beat, he asked me to get him a beer since I was a pledge. I asked him who the fuck he thought he was and threw my beer at him. It splashed on his shirt and Kyle's sofa. I caused a big ruckus in front of Claire and I kicked Blake out of the party. When I kicked him out, Claire had a look in her eye. An hour later, we were making out in the kitchen of the fraternity house. It was extremely intense. She was biting my neck and my chest, and I was enjoying it. People kept walking by, asking if I was okay. I would just smile or nod. I was leaning against what I thought was a pantry door while Claire was pressed against me. After a while, we had put enough force on the door that it popped open. It wasn't a pantry door at all. I fell backwards through the door and down a flight of stairs. I should have broken something, but I was surprisingly okay. I came back upstairs to some worried-looking faces. I said I was fine, and then Claire and I kept our makeout session going. I know we were going to say that we are just going to wait until the story's done, but that's one of those moments where I should have died. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> you went backwards down a flight of stairs that you didn't know was there. <laughs> yes. Dang. I had a great, uninterrupted time with her. When the party was over, my pledge brothers and I cleaned up the house. In one of the bathrooms, someone had sprayed shaving cream all over the place. The brothers told us the girls did this all the time to ruin frat house bathrooms. We were pissed because we had to clean it up. We didn't understand why the fuck they'd put shaving cream all over the place. Then again, we questioned a lot of things we had done up to this point. When we got back to the dorms, John wanted to stop on one of the floors that had lots of vending machines on it. I bought all my munchies without a problem. When John bought his munchies, they got stuck. He started violently shaking the vending machine to try to free his food. He shook it for so long that Bev came upstairs because she heard it while doing her rounds. She told John to stop because he was going to shake it through the floor. He tried explaining that he had lost his candy. Bev said it was too late to make that much noise. I told him I'd share my candy with him so we could get out of there. We were both too drunk to deal with anyone that had snitching power. He told the vending machine that he'd get his revenge. The next morning, I could barely walk and I couldn't find my pledge pin. I called Eric and told him that I had lost my pin. After that, I went to the campus doctor. He said I had sprained my ankle and that it could have been much worse. It could have been herpes. <laughs> Uh, but he's got a sense of humor, right? Good callback. <laughs> um, I was going to say, oh, my mic's a little loud. Let me just lower that. I was going to say that uh, when John was arguing with Bev, he sounded like Vito from Viva La Bam. He was like, ah, la, la, like, like a junkyard dog. He's like, you don't understand. It ain't my fucking money. <sighs> Just spitting all over the place. 
Oh my gosh. And I lost my pledge pin, which we'll quickly figure out what happens when that when that went down. October 8th, makeout session. I ran into Samantha again on campus, and she invited me back to her room to hang out. When we got back to her room, she wanted to make out on her bed. Remember that girl that I just bumped into and I said this story will be relevant later? Right. I bumped Thank into you. her again and she's like, hey, let's go hang out. We spent a while making out and her sweetmate kept coming into her room. Her sweetmate, Stacy, was an evil cock blocker. Every time things got more heated, she'd come over and bug Samantha. This was my first real taste of somebody that was just trying to cock block to be spiteful. That is it. Like, the first time I met a real spiteful, spiteful cock block. Yes. <laughs> October 8th, Garnet Socks. Just before dinner, the brothers called us over to the chapter house to spray paint our shoes. They sprayed our white shoes to a garnet color. We had progressed to the next phase of our pledge process. When we got back to the dorms, John bitched because he had pink socks that he'd have to throw away. I thought having garnet shoes just looked tacky. It would be impossible to hide the fact we were pledging a fraternity when we had spray-painted shoes. I've heard other people say that, hey, why did it take you so long to get your shoes spray-painted? But I remember that, like, I guess you guys had made it that way because you wanted to make it more, like, special. But at the same time, we had so many events that had passed already, and it's just been, like, a couple weeks. So it's not even like we're long into our pledge period. We just happen to be doing a lot. So that's why there's so many chapters before this. See, I, uh, we dyed our shoes. We didn't spray paint them. We, had, we put them all in a big black trash bag full of, uh, full of dye we got at Walmart. Oh, yeah. Ours were spray painted. Because poor Knowles was bitching about his socks. October 8th. A late night request. Kyle Baker called John and told him he had 20 minutes to find 15 different types of condoms and bring them to the chapter house. John frantically explained this to me, so I helped him find all of the condoms. I went to the chapter house with him to present our haul. To our dismay, Kyle told us to test the durability of all the condoms. He told us to put them over our heads and blow the condoms up with our noses until they exploded. After we had function tested all of the condoms, we were sent home. Durex was the strongest, in case you were wondering. I was wondering. Were you? Yes. Well, this is a great Durex commercial, then. This is not sponsored by Durex. They just happen to be the strongest. <laughs> October 9th. I gotta go. John and I were headed up to our rooms after a night of drinking, and I absolutely could not hold my piss. I just want to say this right now that i've never been able to hold my piss it's like the start to every one of these terrible stories for me is me having to piss because i can't think properly when i have to really go to the bathroom i'm like oh fuck it's over it's over i have about like it's like an hourglass turning upside down i have about 60 seconds 59 seconds before i gotta go to the bathroom all 55 seconds oh man it's almost over i'm gonna be fucked in 50 seconds just gotta, you guys got to start to pee yourself and accept it. Yeah. I told him I had to go. 
I don't know if it's because I was so excited to be getting home, or if I was just drunk. Either way, I was going to pee my pants, and the elevator felt like it was moving in slow motion. It was only John and I in the elevator, so I pulled out my dick, hoping we wouldn't stop on any floors, and I started pissing in the corner. Once I popped, I couldn't stop. When the elevator doors opened on our floor, I was still pissing. John hopped off the elevator, the doors closed, and it kept going up. <laughs> the floor indicator displayed the elevator was called to the 13th floor, so I quickly hit the button for the 6th floor, and it stopped in time for me. My piss corner had spread over half of the elevator and most of the bottoms of my shoes. When the doors opened on the 6th floor, I jumped out and ran down the stairwell back to the 4th floor. All you heard was like squeaky wet shoes, like... I told John what had happened, and he said that I had the bladder of a squirrel or a small child. <laughs> so, that was the first time I pissed in an elevator. The first time. That's right. October 10th, beach night. It was Sunday, and everyone in Sig H knew that I had lost my pledge pin. Patrick O'Connor was waiting outside the library to make me feel bad about it. What made it worse was that we were all late showing up for library hours. He said because we were late, he would be waiting for us when we got out of the library for a little hazing. This was like our first time being late for the library. We weren't taking it seriously, and then our first punishment. He was always just looking for an excuse to haze you, though. But when you think about it, we were already to the point where we were going to fuck sheep. So, really, what mentally can you do to us now how now far, it's got to be physical can you push someone? Yeah. yeah like exactly so you've reached the echelon of one thing now you got to switch to the other so we get weak in that thing again and then you bring it back fair just like patrick said when we got out of the library he was there waiting for us he led us to the chapter house and told us that he would be hazing us for two reasons the first was that we were late to the library and the second was because i had lost my pledge pin the entire fraternity was going to haze us, but Patrick said they didn't want to waste all their energy by exhausting us. We should have told him to fuck himself, but the thought of one brother's mind versus many seemed like the lesser of two evils at the time. It was James, Tony, and I. John Knowles was out of town, suckling his girlfriend's teat at the time. For this reason, Patrick called the event Beach Night. It was the true Virginia Beach Boys, and me, the American wannabe, it started with a basic 10-mile jog around the town. While we ran, I looked into the dark narrows of every side street we passed along the way. I thought I could deke into one of the streets and escape. Nobody would notice until they were a few blocks ahead. I daydreamt the entire time we ran. After Patrick was done running us around campus, he took us to do some gutter runs. There was a drain gutter that connected a parking lot to a service road behind Main Street. We were told to form a single-file line and run down the gutter together. Our legs were already slightly exhausted, so running downhill in a single-file line through the narrow gutter was hard. It didn't take long for us to hurt ourselves. The first time we hurt ourselves, Tony tripped all of us by accident, and we fell down the hill like dominoes. Next, we ran relays. One pledge would run down the gutter and then back up to the top of the hill. When he got there the next pledge would run the gutter, and so on. After we had run enough relays, 
Patrick made us run in a single-file line again. We could barely run up the gutter, but Patrick yelled at us to run faster. This is when we took our second fall. James slipped across the entire road and rolled down the hill. We thought he had rolled off the embankment and died. So, that's that's like twice in the story so far that we've thought somebody was dead. Right, me, was falling, yeah. me falling down a staircase backwards and then coming back up and everybody being like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And they're like, he's okay. <laughs> and then this one too, right? So we're all running down a gutter and James slips and trips across a 12 or 14 foot uh, road and disappears off the edge of this hill into darkness. And we know there's a 30-foot drop somewhere close to that that leads to all the businesses. So that's that's where we are, if you can kind of imagine that it's behind a bunch of buildings. A minute later, he came limping back up with a hurt ankle. Patrick said, Okay, guys, I don't want you to get hurt anymore. You're done. Race me back to the fraternity house. We raced Patrick back to the fraternity house, but he easily beat us there. When we got to the house, we assumed that we were done for the night. When he said, you're done, he just meant gutter runs were done. We were just getting started. It was terrible. We were sent down to the basement when we got to the house. Patrick turned on a little set of speakers and played Jimmy Buffett music. He served us up the worst assortment of seafood any of us have ever eaten or will eat in our lives. It started with us chugging bottles of clam juice. Next, we moved on to bottles of oyster juice, Tabasco sauce, and tartar sauce. After that, Patrick threw jugs of water on us. He made us pretend to bodyboard, and by the end, we were completely soaked. When we were being fed all of the seafood sauce-related things and seafood-y things, he -hmm. was playing Jimmy Buffett, the Pina Colada song, and well, it was going, if you like pina coladas, he would say, that's, if you like tuna, Rupert, if you like tuna and clam sauce. <laughs> what were that you going to say? The, that song's called The Escape by Rupert Holmes. Yes. It's about Jimmy Buffett. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> well, that that even paradises it even more. So that, lawsuits alleviated. Good to, Good to know. <laughs> Patrick said it was to cool us down. When his arms got tired of throwing jugs of water on us, we did air chairs against the basement wall. While doing air chairs, we continuously recited the Greek alphabet. After air chairs, Patrick served us up dessert. It was a five-pound can of tuna. Whatever horrible company created a can of tuna that massive is terrible. It tasted like mercury and tin. To this day, I've never seen a can of tuna that big again in my life that wasn't like a picture online. I have no idea where you found it, but five pounds of tuna is a lot of freaking tuna. That is an insane amount of tuna. To put it into perspective for anybody, it's usually like 100 grams in a tiny little can. So it'd be 20 of those little cans. We all started eating the tuna with our hands until Tony puked into the giant container. James and I instantly stopped eating it. Patrick started yelling at us to continue eating the pukey tuna, but it wasn't happening. All the yelling in the world would never convince me to eat another piece of tuna. The idea of eating another piece of tuna alone was a sickening thought, let alone with Tony's puke all over it. 
He had almost filled the container back to the brim with his puke. Patrick, I hope that that describes it well enough, because imagine we have eaten a couple cans of tuna each, and we're all just kind of hanging over this giant tuna can and then one of the dudes out of all the places he decides to throw up is back into the giant can that we're all having to eat out of and he fills it back up to the top because he already has other things in his stomach like the clam juice and all that other crap that he just Uh, drank god it's so filthy i hope this is disgusting people because like this is the truth of what happened told James and I to put our noses against the wall and suck our thumbs while Tony had to keep eating. After Tony finished eating the rest of his puke and tuna, we were sent home, but not before I was given a present. It was my new substitute pledge pin and was a real cinder block used for construction. It looked like it had been stolen from a construction site. It wasn't light, and I thought it was going to be awful having to haul the block around campus. Patrick said the cement block would be a lot harder to lose, and I should be thankful. When we left, I hid my cement block behind LT's house so that nobody would be aware of its significance. I feel like we might have just glanced over the whole Tony still having to eat the tuna thing, but... No, we can can go ahead and glance past that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Okay. (laughs) It's so filthy. When I got back to the dorms, I was still soaked and smelled awful. This was the one time the front lobby was packed, and so were the elevators. When I got into an elevator, it was crowded with students. I smelled so bad that out of embarrassment, I said, I'm sorry I smell like a wet dog. So the irony of this story is Dirty dirty Socks, which is the beginning of this chapter. And the tie-in is that I didn't want to smell like dirty laundry. But it was destiny that I smelt like dirty laundry. laundry. Yes. (laughs) To everyone. Everyone chuckled because they thought it was funny. Luckily for me, they chuckled long enough not to use their noses and didn't start gagging. Yeah, I was just covered in shit. I was covered in like tuna and dirt and (laughs) vomit and clam juice and water. I was soaking. I was still soaking, and I had long hair. That's why I was still covered in shit, because like it was just like a dirty hippie. Gross. October 11th, new shoes. My dad sent me a package a few weeks after my alcohol charges. I opened it in front of Paul, hoping it was food or something awesome. In the package was a pair of shoes. When I pulled out the shoes... I was somewhat disappointed. My dad didn't know that I wouldn't get to put them on until the end of the semester, unless I just walked around in the dorm with them on. There was a note in the box. These are so you can stand a better chance at getting away next time. Love, Dad. That's exactly what the note said. I have the coolest (laughs) dad in the world. And he meant it satirically, but it was such a nice gesture. Because I'm a big guy, it's always been hard to find shoes. So, kind of sucks that I got them while I'm having to wear Chuck Taylors. Well, I guess it would have been a nice thing to look forward to when you're done wearing the Chuck Taylor. Exactly. They're my dorm slipper. There you go. October 12th. Dustin real good. John came to my room and asked if I wanted to get high. He then proceeded to explain that you could get high from air duster cans. 
I didn't think it was true until a few other people on my floor confirmed it. And when I say that, I mean, I didn't want it to be true. And then he took me room to room and was like, did you know you can get high off air duster cans? <laughs> They're like, and yes, I did. Like, yeah. And he's like, see, told you. <laughs> But when somebody comes and they're like, hey, you want to get high? Like, Towley, you're like, oh, like, the marijuanas? <laughs> In college, at least. And then when they tell you that it's dust cans, you feel disgusted. Because you think that you're going to go through with it. Let's listen to see what happens. Since it was college and all, I said I'd give it a shot. John and I grabbed a small blue air duster can that I had been using to spray out the back of my computer. John took a huge hit from the can, and I took the second one. I felt so dirty, and was officially white trash. When the air came into my lungs, it burned so much, I wanted to immediately puke after my hit. John took one more hit, and we were done. I told him I'd continue to stick with my weed highs. The day that John and I decided to get high from dust cans was one of the ultimate lows in my life up to that point. Why did I share that in my book? Because my book is truthful, and it's good to share all the lows and highs so people can see what it was like for me and what it's like to pledge a fraternity 20 years ago. Very honest. Very real. And check out the next episode coming soon on our episode reel. Woo!